Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Liverpool One Church, you are sounding great today. Go ahead and take your seats. We are in the third part of our current series called Pursuit of Happiness, and it really is just great to have you with us in church today, no matter who you are and where you're from and what your story is and your backstory. And everybody's got a backstory, right, for how they've ended up in church today. We just want you to know from the jump, right from the off, we're just so glad that you're here joining us online or in the room. We consider you part of the family, like Welcome Home. That's the anthem that we wanna give off and the sound of our church house to yours. We're glad that you're here. One of the things that you'll often hear me say because I worry about this all week, like literally in the run up to every single message, like this is always on the back of my mind. It's that I never want it to become the case that like church feels as though people are coming out and, and, and giving time to just hear another word from me because that's the last thing that you need in your life for a whole bunch of reasons. One, I'm not all that smart. I've not got a lot to say on a lot of things, but one thing that you need in your life, which is the same thing in my life, and that is that week to week, we just need a a time, a season, a space where we give God the opportunity to deposit something new and fresh and life-giving into the depth of our souls. And um, that's been my prayer every day this week, that when you leave church today, that you would feel, know and sense like you've just heard from Him. But I'm just not convinced that that's ever gonna happen unless we first do this right from the start and that's pray. So would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're, we're gathering today under the name of Jesus Christ and we're here expectant that You would cut through the words of me and that You would somehow wrap every spoken word with the oozing sense of the presence of Your Holy Spirit, that every seed that would be spoken forth today would fall and land in good soil in the depths of our hearts. Let it be the case today, this day, that when we leave church at the back end of the 12, that we would all leave feeling, knowing and sensing like we've just heard from you. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, hey, it really is great to have you with us because um, I'm actually here for a little bit of therapy today. I feel the need that I need your assistance to help me recover from just a few scars that I have relationally in my life. I feel that there are certain areas of my married life that you might be able to assist and help me recover from. Because if I'm gonna be really honest, there have been sometimes and occasions where I just feel a little bit let down by my wife, Emma. I feel like she hasn't always delivered on some of the promises that would have been a great blessing in my life in the way that she had often led me to believe and that has now left me somewhat scarred. So you are part of my healing process today as I consider you all my counsellor. You see, the big issue is, and there are a few of them, but probably the main, the most pressing issue, is just the fact that I have this love in life 
for live music. Like, I absolutely love it. If we ever go to the theatre, Emma is always like, man, did you see the dancers? Did you see the dress? Did you see the backdrop? And I'm like, no. And that's because I literally go to the theatre and I just watch the musicians in the pit. Like, I just love and appreciate and respect just amazing musicianship and the sound of being in a live concert. That's why I love church the way we're doing it, the way that we're doing it. I just love it. And she just knows that I've always enjoyed live music. I love going to gigs, love going to concerts. Like it's just my thing. And for a long time now, I like a whole bunch of bands, but for a long time now, I've always kind of had my eye on the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I just think that they're cool. I just love their music. It's kind of like, it's just trippy. I'm just totally into it. So she knows that the Red Hot Chilies have been a really big love of mine. And um, the bottom line is, I was really hopeful and expecting that she would maybe one day buy me tickets to go and see them in concert. So I was delighted on one of my birthdays when she had like bigged up the Chili Peppers and like spoken about them, which was the first time I'd ever really hearing, uh, heard Emma speak about the chilies. And she said that we were going to go and see a concert at the MEN over in Manchester. And i be honest with you, I didn't know that the Red Hot Chili Peppers were touring at the time. And normally, like, my finger is on the button. Normally, I know about that sort of stuff. So this is, this is what we were expecting. This is what I thought we were going to. I thought that we were going to go to a gig that was really just like this, you know? All the men, like, you know, it was would have been sweaty, like all the guys in the chilies doing their thing. That's what I thought we were going to. But um, she told me that, that, that there'd been an alteration in the gigs and to kind of compensate the fact that we weren't going to see the Chili Peppers, which was heartbreaking for me. She assured me it wasn't a problem because instead we were going to go um, and see Ronan Keating. So uh, what we actually went to was this. This is Ronan doing his thing. Uh, in the MEN with like thousands of teenage girls like crying and screaming. I was the only guy there. It just felt a bit awkward and a little bit weird. Like if there's anyone you don't want to go and see, it's Ronan Keating, right? And uh, I just feel as though she's let me down a little bit. I feel like she hasn't delivered on her promise to get me into a Chili Peppers gig. So a couple of years ago when I ended up going with my friends, I intentionally made sure that Emma was not going to have a ticket to come with us. Um, <laughs> But hey, maybe you're like me. Have you ever felt like there's something that you're waiting for in your life and yet you've just not yet experienced it yet? Have you ever felt like there's a promise that somebody has made to you and you're so expectant of that promise materialising, but you've just never really lived it out yet? You've never really received the promise. In fact, if we were going to go a little bit deeper, because we are in church, we're allowed to do this, I reckon that there are many of you that there have been certain times in your life, and maybe you're even in one today, right now in church, where you sense like God has given a promise that sits over your life. Like you feel like there is a seed deep within your soul that is a promise that has been given by God. Maybe a dream that has been given by God. In a moment, we're going to go and look at a story in the Old Testament about a character that's quite well known, especially in the church world. So maybe even if church is not ordinarily what you do, chances are you might have heard of this guy that we're going to look at his life today and the occurrence that happened in Joshua 6 in a moment, because he's quite a famous character. But even if you're not ordinarily a church-going person, can I just say, man, I'm just so glad that you're here. Even if you're here today, like as the world's biggest skeptic and the biggest doubter, and you're like not into this, 
I'm, I'm so glad you're here because we were all once you. We've all sat on your chair. We've all thought and felt exactly the same thing that you're feeling. So in a moment, we're gonna jump into the big story of Joshua, but I just wanna kind of set a little bit of contact, context and scenery for you. In Joshua chapter one, God makes a promise over Joshua's life. He reminds Joshua of a promise that he'd previously made over his ancestor's life. And it would be a promise not just for Joshua, but also for Joshua's family and for the entire nation of Israel, of whom Joshua was now the leader of. And the promise that God had given his ancestors and in Joshua chapter one was reminding him of was that one day the nation of Israel would have a land that they could call their own. Because up to this point, all they had really experienced was a nomadic way of life. All they'd been able to encounter was living life in and out of tents. And they would never have a land that they could say, this is our land that they could farm and use for agriculture and they could build community and use for commerce, that had a border and a boundary, that they could say, this is our country. They'd never had that before. All they'd experienced was being nomadic and also that of being slaves because they'd been enslaved to Egypt for decades. So Joshua is reminded by the Lord God Almighty in chapter one of how he has a promise for him. And in the same way that God reminded Joshua that he has a promise for him, so it is the same for each and every one of us. That there are often times and seasons in your life where you will feel and sense like God has a promise over your life. It might not be about a nation and land and borders, but nevertheless, you still have a promise. For you, your dream, your promise that you feel is given by God as a seed deposited in the depths of your soul might be that of a marriage partner. You desperately long to have a wife, have a husband, and it feels to you like it's happened for everybody else, but it's never happened for you. And it's kind of like a promise that you're aware of, and it kind of sometimes makes you feel the tension of not yet living in the fulfilment of that promise. For many others of you, it might not be about a relationship issue. It might just be about a career. You have a, a deep desire within your heart to go up the ladder and you feel like it's a promise over your life from God that one day you could have that job. One day you could have the business. You could be the guy. You could be doing the thing. And you know what it is and I may not, but you know it and it's a promise. For others, for some of you, the promise that you're waiting on and living in the waiting for is that of having good health again. It feels to you like everybody else is like got great health, but you're sick. You've been given a diagnosis and this affects your life. It affects your mental health. It affects your physical health. And it means to you now that you're not able to do all the things that you've loved. So you're, you're on a promise of being like, God, when are you gonna do this in my life? Like, when is that gonna change? When is this gonna change for me? For some of you, you know, it's about family. You've got a promise from God that says to you, one day, my family, which is now constantly feuding and fighting, will one day all be friends like family again. It's a promise. And it's a promise that you feel like God has deposited as a seed into the depth of your soul. You might not be confident about talking about it, but nevertheless, it's a promise. But yet the problem with a promise is that it creates a tension. 
And the tension is that whilst you feel like this could be great and it could be awesome, until you're a recipient of that promise and you're waiting for it, it creates a tension of you feeling like, God, are you ever going to turn up and do this in my life? God, are you ever going to react and respond to me in the way that you've previously responded to other people? Like, God, are you ever going to do anything? Are you going to do anything? And you you know that the tension grows because you know exactly what you want and you just haven't got it. And oftentimes, the closer you are to living in the fulfilment of that promise, the greater the tension is at the most because you've been living in the waiting for the longest. So what do you do? You do the same thing as me. When you feel like maybe God's given you a promise, but you're not lo- it's not looking to you like it's materialising, you start to then question the promise. Like, well, maybe I'd be no good as a CEO anyway. Maybe I would never be the global guy. Maybe I would never have that position in work anyway. Or maybe I'm just born and designed and destined to be single my whole life. Maybe that's for everybody else and not for me. No problem, God, I'll deal with it. I'll build a bridge and get over it. For others of you, it just might be a number of things. You know, am I ever going to celebrate the joy of having my own family because it seems like everybody else is getting pregnant and I'm not? Am I ever going to be debt-free because it feels like everybody else is like living life in financial freedom and here I am struggling to make ends meet all of the time? And we all know of the tension that it creates when we're not living in the fulfilment of that promise. Because it often starts out like a small, simmering sense of doubt and questioning. You know, like, God, have you forgotten about me? God, I can see that you're doing this for everybody else, but you're not answering any of my prayers. And I don't wanna be the moaner or the groaner, God, but like, seriously, I just wanna remind you, you still haven't done it for me. Have you forgotten me, God? But that small, uh, quiet, simmering questioning very quickly materialises into this loud and aggressive form of jealousy sometimes, or even worse than that, sometimes it can be about envy and it becomes a huge and obvious grievance in your life where you're like, seriously, God? How come, how come they're on their second house in two years and we can't even get a viewing? Like, God, how come they're having another baby and we've not got one? Like, God, how come, like, they're getting another brand new car and we can't even afford one? Like, God, how come they've got the offer of three jobs, I've not got any job? How come they're so super fit and I can't even lose a pound in weight? Like, how come, God, are you serious? Have you forgotten me? And the frustration is always largest when you're closest to being a recipient of the promise. So now with a bit of context about how I wanna set this message up, I wanna go in and I'm gonna give you some advanced warning. We're gonna jump into the passage of Scripture that's quite lengthy from Joshua chapter six and look at the way in which God, the Lord Almighty, encouraged Joshua to work his way through this season of feeling like he has a promise over his life that just hasn't materialised yet. So Joshua six, verse one. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because, the, because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March round the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets and make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. 
and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance. March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forwards, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So we had the ark of the Lord carried round the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time round, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the story goes on to recount how on day seven, as that shout was given up, the walls of Jericho, which was the first city that Joshua and the Israelites were about to take over and go into battle with, in order for them to see the fulfilment of God's promise on their life. It was this on this seventh day that these walls all came crushing and crumbling down. So I guess that what we've got happening here is that Joshua and the nation of Israel feel like God has placed a promise over their life and now they're having to work this out. So God speaks to Joshua and then Joshua speaks to the people. But I think that what we can find in the story is something that we can also find to be true for every single one of our lives also. Because I think that the story shows us that there are three things that can actually stop you from living in the fulfilment of what God's promise is over your life. There are three things that are found in this chapter six passage that will show you exactly how if you are a follower of God, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, how you can sometimes live your entire life feeling like you've got a promise over your life and yet never actually walk in the fulfilment of it. There are three things that I want us to look at and explore that would just help us to understand what is it that stops you from living out God's promises in your life. So the first thing that can happen in your life, because this could have quite easily have happened in the life of Joshua and, those of his, and that of his army as well, 
would be that your perspective can get easily blocked. Your perspective gets blocked. So here we are, Joshua. He's going to battle the first city, Jericho, and he doesn't know it at the moment, but there are many cities after Jericho that he's gonna have to go into battle with. And on his very first battle in the land that he believes that God has promised him, what we find is that the Scriptures tell us that as far as the city of Jericho is concerned, it tells us that it was securely barred and no one came in and no one came out. In other words, the gates were securely shut. Nobody's getting in and nobody's getting out. So imagine it like this. For the first time ever now, Joshua can't even see inside the city which is the place that he believes God has promised he's going to give to him as a land for his entire nation. He can't even see in the city anymore because the gates of the walls are securely shut. It would have been very easy for Joshua to have had a very different perspective at this moment because now he can't even visually see the promise that he's supposed to be fighting for. You see, you could describe it like this. Right now, this looked impossible for Joshua. But the good news is, is that even though it might look impossible in your eyes and that of man, nothing is impossible for God. Because there are often times and seasons in your life and in mine when we incorrectly perceive what's going on around us. What we do is we look at impossibility and we see that as being a sign that it must not be for us. Like nothing good can come out of this. Nothing good can develop from this. We could have put ourselves in Joshua's shoes. And because of what we see and the impossibility of attacking the city, because the cities are walled, we could have said this will never, ever happen. But what if that impossibility that we look at as a sign as being maybe this is something that we could never do anything about, what if that is your sign that it's a perfect opportunity for God to do that which only God can do in your life and in mine too? Because I do have a problem with the Scriptures that I'm going to share with you right now. And I'm going to read them back to front to try and explain to you my issue. My issue is that in chapter 6 verse 2, God says to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. That sounds amazing if verse one wasn't already in place because verse one tells us, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. Nobody went out and nobody came in. Here's the thing. When you're believing for a promise from God to come into fruition of your life, you've got to make sure that your perspective doesn't change or get tossed around like the storms and the waves of the world because God doesn't see things the way that we see things. What we find in the Scripture is simply this. We see that Joshua can see that the gates are shut and maybe the interpretation of that could be this is so impossible, nothing good can come from it. But verse one tells us the reason why the gates were shut. It tells us that the gates were shut because of the Israelites. In other words, 
The inhabitants of Jericho were already fearful that the Israelites were on their way because they'd heard on the grapevine that the God, Lord Almighty was with them and was blessing them and would fight for them. So what we see as an impossibility, God recognises and says, that was only happening because my hand was already at work. They were already fearful. They were already afraid. So what do you do when what you see doesn't stack up to what God says. Because we can all experience this, can't we? Like, what do you do when you come to church and it feels like, man, the preacher's preaching about being happy and being joyful and not depressed and downcast, and you go home and it feels to you like, man, I'm more depressed, downcast and lacking of joy now more than ever. Like, what do you do when what you see doesn't stack up to what you believe God says? What do you do when you feel that maybe... We talk about blessing and peace and about how your home can be a joyous place and you go home and it's like World War III, it's carnage to you. Well, I would just want to encourage you and say this, keep your perspective right because the way you look at things is not the way that God looks at things. And what we look at and perceive as being an impossible situation is actually just the perfect breeding ground for God to get to work and do that which only He can do. When you lose your perspective of how God sees whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life, it starts to make you lose the faith to keep hold of the promise that's been put in your soul like that of a small seed. So keep your perspective in order. But the second way that a lot of Christians often end up not living in the fulfilment of the promise that they believe God's put on their life is that they don't understand that your progress isn't always obvious. And just because God has promised something, it doesn't mean that you immediately possess it. From this scripture, what we learn is that God had spoken a promise to Joshua But yet, at the point of the promise, he did not possess the land. They still had to go and battle. They still had to encircle the walls. At the point of the promise, it didn't equal possession of the land. And so it is the same in your life and mine too. Because your progress in God, in your life, towards your dream, towards your promise, is not always obvious. Because in verse three, and we've already read it, Joshua is instructed that they had to march around the city for six days. Like six days, they will have had to have gotten all their kit on, all of their armoury on, all of their weaponry together. They would have had to kiss their wife and their kids goodbye, not knowing if they were even coming home. And every day they were returning home, having pretty much accomplished next to nothing. And every day, you know, the answer to the question of what did you do today? Well, nothing. Because as they were marching for six days, do you know what they saw? Nothing. Do you know what happened to the walls on every day, day one to six? Nothing. Do you know what happened to the mortar that was holding the bricks together in the walls and the doors that were enforced with wooden great big blockades? Nothing at all happened. But just because you don't see something happening doesn't mean that God isn't working. God is often working behind the scenes of your life and it's not our responsibility to look at the outcome. It's just our responsibility to look at the obedience part that's down to us. 
Outcome is always on God. Obedience is always on us. God will deliver the city if we just don't quit walking. So you've got to understand that progress isn't always obvious. It's kind of like this. Anybody go to the gym, you know, like start the new year, I'm sure everybody signed up to a gym and we know it's true because the car park is always chocker in the month of January. And you get in the gym and like you do like day one and, and you get home and you, you take your top off and you stand in front of the mirror. Like here's a question, like when you do that, can you see any difference at all? Like after your first session, nothing. Maybe even like after day two, day three, like you've gone for your run and you can do 3K now and you can lift like one plate aside on the bench and, and you're sort of like going for it and you go home and you take your top off and you're looking in the mirror and I'm, I'm saying this, I'm thinking like that's more of a guy thing to take your top off. I'm not necessarily expecting the girls to take their top off. I'm probably gonna end up going somewhere. I don't wanna go with this. But, but the bottom line is when you look in front of the mirror, can you see any change, any benefit, any difference after just day one or day two? But don't, whatever you do, don't think or kid yourself into thinking that it's not being effective and it's not growing muscle and it's not toning you and it's not adding strength to you because it absolutely is. It's just that progress isn't always obvious. I mean, can you imagine if you went to the gym just three times a week for like 10 months? Like, man, now when you take your top off, you're going to see all kinds of shapage action going on that you're going to like go, whoa. You know, it's like going to just make you go, let's do this thing. Because progress is not obvious over short parameters of time. And you've got to understand that it's exactly the same in your faith life too. So when you start praying and you feel like God's not responding to your prayers, don't stop on day one, guys just because you don't see any change or any progress or it doesn't look like it's a different shape yet, don't stop there because progress isn't obvious. When you start to try and get yourself out of debt and you do it great for month one and then you hit a spanner in month two, whatever you do, don't give up and quit then because I promise you, you might not get yourself out of debt in a month or two months. Hey, if it's taken you five years to get yourself into debt, you're not gonna get yourself out of debt in five months. There's a process that's gotta be outworked and it's not always obvious. Like don't ever convince yourself and think, well, my father was large and fat and I'm fat and I'm never gonna lose the weight and my kids are fat and what's the point in me even trying to shed the weight because I've tried now for a week and I really don't see a lot of benefit to it. No, no, progress isn't always obvious. And just because your progress in your faith life for whatever it is that you're believing God to do in your life, just because you can't see it, it doesn't mean that your faith is broken. It doesn't mean that there's a part of your faith life that isn't working or isn't functioning correctly because outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. And six days they were walking around that thing and saw nothing. In fact, when Joshua told the soldiers and the military men what the plan was, even though he knew it was gonna be day seven, he didn't tell a soul. In fact, we read it, didn't we? He said to them, don't even say a word, just shut up and march. Just pick up your stuff, keep your mouth quiet and just march. It says to us, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Lord. They just had no clue how long they were gonna have to do that for. Like, can you imagine how awkward this must have been when these boys were getting home every night? 
Like they'll have like come through the door and they're just like taking off their sword and taking off their chest plate and their shin pad things that they're all wearing, you know, and the wife says, you know, like, hey, how was your day? Which I've now learned a lesson that's important in marriage that when your wife says to you, hey, how was your day? And you respond and do what I often do and just go, yeah, it was sound or yeah, it was fine. Like, and that's it. Because that's all I feel that is needed, required. No more information. And it's not me withholding anything. I just, there's no more information in here. Like everything's just fine. Nothing's going on. And she's like, well, how was your day? What I've learned is that what she really means is that those words, how was your day? What it actually means is now is the moment for you to delve deep into the crevices of your soul and spill out to me the most intimate details and aspects of your entire life. Oh, and by the way, if you don't ask me how my day was after, then the pans are gonna fly. Like seriously, I've learned this lesson. That's what that means. So these boys in Joshua, they're going home every day and the wives would have been like, so what was it? And they're like, nothing. How was it? Okay, what did you do? Nothing, like day one, nothing to say. Day two, nothing to say. Day three, nothing to say because progress isn't always obvious. And all the time when they were not seeing the outcome or the promise that they were wanting and believing for, it didn't stop them being obedient to the plan of just marching round the walls. But the third thing, that people of God and followers of Jesus in a church just like ours often struggle with and often derails us in terms of living out in the fulfillment of the promise that maybe you feel like you've got over your life, is that the process to the promise is often open-ended. Now, I don't mind going to the gym, I quite like it, but I think the reason why I like it is because I know how long it's gonna hurt for. Like if I'll get on a bench, I know that I'm gonna only have like, I don't know, when it starts to really hurt, I've got five more reps to go and two more sets. Like in my head, I can see the end line. I can see the finish point. I can see exactly how far I've got to go in order to get to where I wanna get to, right? And I don't mind doing it when I can see the end, but you know what I'm not up for doing? And maybe you're the same as me, just walking endlessly or training endlessly without a fixing point in time where you can go, you can stop now, or you've achieved the goal now. And yet often you've got to understand that the promises that God gives you in your life are exactly like that too. It's an open-ended promise. And there may be times and seasons where you have genuinely no clue when God is gonna bring about that promise that you're hoping and you're believing for. It's kind of a little bit like this. I am a huge F1 fan, like I absolutely love it, right? And um, a couple of the guys in church all like it and whenever there's a good race on, we like to get a takeaway and we all watch it together. It's just like heaps of fun. And I'm a big Lewis Hamilton fan. And um, if you're a Verstappen Red Bull fan after the controversy that we had at the back end of the season, curse you. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. But um, we can still kind of be friends, I think, somehow. You can be friends with my wife or something. But here's the thing, right? I, I love the F1. Now, I'm a Hamilton fan. Now, what happens with Lewis Hamilton is that whenever he's racing, he's got this racing engineer. He's called Bono, and he's always talking to him through the race, and it lets him know exactly where he is at the stages of the race. And typically, because the number of laps that they will do in any given race changes depending on what circuit they're at, Bono will always come on and he'll kind of say, right, Lewis, head down. You've got one more lap to go. He'll come on the radio and just speak into his ear and let him know, you're on your final lap, Lewis. Let's keep going. 
So if you're like in a race, non-dependent of where you are on the track, even having that information of knowing you've got one race to go, sometimes he'll say this, he'll say, just keep it together, Lewis. You've got one lap to go. And Lewis just goes quiet and he goes head down. I'm not really a huge NASCAR fan, but it is motor racing. So I kind of like anything that's motor racing. Not as good as F1, like driving around a circle. I don't really get it, but in NASCAR racing, when you're on the final lap, they wave a white flag so that every driver knows that you're on the final lap now. You've got one lap to go. And I just wonder sometimes like, how encouraging that must be if you're running a race of life to let, to let you know like, how much further do I have to go before I get to the end? How much further do I have to go before I get to the finish line? Like almost how much further do I have to go God in order to be a recipient of the promise that you said, not me, but you've deposited as a seed in the depth of my soul. When's my finish line going to happen? And you know what we do often in the church? Instead of waiting for a white flag that often is never coming, often you will never have a race engineer in your ear saying you've got one lap to go. Nobody was ever in the ear of the soldiers saying, okay, you're on, you're on day six, you've got one more to go and you're good, you're home and you're dry. You will probably never have that in your life. So you know what we do? We get so frustrated at not seeing a white flag that we start to wave our own. We, we just quit. We just say, God, that's it, I, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore, God. Like you said, God, that we're gonna have a baby and I've not seen that come into fruition. In fact, all I've seen during our time of believing that that's gonna be our story is everybody else get pregnant. In fact, God, this isn't fair, God, because I'm waiting and believing for a marriage partner that I can do life with and follow you. And you know what I see? I see everybody else getting married and I don't even have anybody to come on a date with me. Like seriously, are you playing mind games with me, God? Are you messing with me, God? So here's my white flag, I quit, I'm out. I'm not doing the whole church thing anymore. I'm not trusting you, God, anymore. I'm not even convinced that you've got my best interest in heart because all I've been doing for what feels like forever is walking around these walls and I have no clue when these walls are gonna start to come crashing down. I've got no clue, God. There's no race engineer. And you know, I think sometimes that if that's how we feel, do you not think that that must have been also exactly the same way that these soldiers in Jericho must have been feeling as well? Walking laboriously in all of their heavy gear, right? Just walking around these walls. And every day, they're just like, God, is this gonna be the day? Like, what are we even doing here? Does anybody even have a clue what's the plan? I mean, Joshua's just telling us to keep walking and we've been doing it all day and now we've gone home, day two. God, are we ever gonna see any of this wall come down? Like, are we ever gonna go into battle here? I thought that this was a promise from you, God. I thought that this was a promise for my life. Now I'm getting a bit frustrated. Day three, I've been doing this forever, God. Are you ever gonna change it for me? You're doing it for everybody else. Why are you leaving me out, God? This isn't fair, this isn't right. Day four, and a lot of people start to now carry this sentiment of God. Well, if you're not done it by now, you're probably never gonna do it at all. So what's the point in me staying faithful to you? What's the point in me trying to live in a pure way? What's the point in me trying to honour you financially when I always live life broke? But if you can just keep going, you've got to understand that sometimes progress isn't always obvious and you've got to go, okay, it's day five and now 
now typically God, Joshua, who said nothing and I'm getting angry with and I'm frustrated with and I don't see the house and I don't see the thing and I don't see the good health and I don't see my answered prayers. And now we get to day six and so many of us in church world, as Christian people, as followers of the way, we stop on six and my request of every single one of you is don't, whatever you do, whatever you do with your life, whatever you do with your faith life, don't stop on six. You've got to muster up the strength and muster up the faith to stay continuously trusting that even when you don't see God's hand, you'll always see His heart. And you're gonna go one more time, God, if I don't see you, if I don't feel you, I think that you've got my best interest at heart. And even if the rest of your life doesn't seem or feel to you, perhaps it can be the best of your life if you'll just keep going and don't quit on six because progress isn't always obvious and it's often gonna be open-ended in your life as it is mine. But there's one thing that's a guarantee that you will never receive the promise that God has for you around the corner unless you go around the corner. So with no one in your ear, one lap to go, with no white flag, Liverpool One Church, may you muster up the strength to not quit on six. And you keep going even when you feel like quitting, even when you feel like God's doing it for everybody else and He's not doing it for you, just whatever you do. And if you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. And if you can't crawl, then slither your way around. Just don't stop. Just don't quit. Just don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight. Don't lose your faith. Don't walk out of church. Don't turn your back on God. Don't stop on six. And may God fulfil the promises and the dreams that are like a seed in the depths of your soul in Jesus' Name. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.